The lost he came to save. 
take your copy of God's Word this morning. I want you to find two passages of Scripture, please. Uh, if you'll find Acts chapter 6 and then 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll begin in Acts, and if you'll mark 1 Timothy 3, then we'll go back to Acts. So you may want to mark both of these or hold your place with your finger if you'd like. Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. I read this past week about a little girl who was asked by her parents what she did at church on Sunday morning. That's always a very interesting question to ask your children. What did you learn today? What did you study today? And of course now it really helps because we're all studying the same thing in Sunday school. But on this particular day their parents asked uh, this little girl what she did at church. And here's what she said. She said, oh, we learned that Jesus walked on the water and cast out deacons. I think she got a little bit confused, don't you? Just just a little bit of confusion there. But you know, I found there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this whole idea of deacons. What about deacons? What do they do? Who are they? Uh, Where did they come from? Who qualifies to be one? Why do we have them? Why do we need them? And these are important questions that we need to consider uh, from the Scripture. And so I want you to find your place there. We're having a deacon ordination Uh, We have new deacons. And so we're going to begin looking here in the Scripture about this whole idea of the office of deacon and answer these questions. Who are they? What do they do? Who qualifies to be one? Why do we need them? Why do we have them? And you'll find it, I think, interesting that the very first deacons, they're not called deacons in this first passage, but they're obviously serving in this capacity uh, here in Acts chapter 6. And uh, we're going to read them. And then we'll come back and unpack them, okay? So they're not called deacons in Acts chapter 6, but the word serve in the Greek that we're going to read in our English Bible here is the verb form where we get the noun deacon. And so we understand these are deacons here in Acts chapter 6. Do you have your copy there? Ready? Acts chapter 6. Begin reading at verse 1. Read through verse 7. Then we'll go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, okay? Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so it's a blessing here, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the Word of God spread... And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, if you'll turn over next to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and don't lose your spot in Acts 6, we're coming back. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the office is spoken of directly. And there are qualifications given about deacons and for deacons. And it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, these words, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, 
Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you noticed or not, but the Scripture talks about the fact that deacons are a blessing. They're a blessing to themselves and they're a blessing to the body of Christ. And both of the blessings are mentioned at the last verse of each of those passages. In Acts chapter 6, after these deacons are appointed, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And then in that second passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the last verse again, it has the blessing. For those who have served well as deacons attain for themselves. They bless themselves. They obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you understand that there are two offices in the church today. There are elders, also known as pastors or bishops or overseers, all the same person, all the same office, you go to the office of elder and the office of deacon. We see both of them mentioned at the same time in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Philippians 1, 1 says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, so to all the Christians who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So there are two offices in the church. There are the offices of elder and pastor. Or excuse me, elder and deacon. Now the simplest definition of a deacon that I can give you is a servant. A deacon is a servant. That's what the word means. It means servant. Now we know that as Christians, all of us are servants. But being a deacon is a special form of service to the body of Christ. And do you find it interesting as I do that the office of deacon was birthed in the midst of a crisis in the early church? I mean, here you have the church multiplying, disciples coming to the Lord, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you have a squabble about some widows being neglected, and that squabble led to murmuring. In fact, the King James talks about there was a murmuring there. Now, in the midst of this problem, we have the office of deacon being birthed. Now, you understand that there will be problems in the church, right? Everybody understands that there's going to be problems. This is the very first church. Many scholars believe that at this point, the membership of the early church could possibly be 20,000 or more members. Can you imagine uh, the multitude of folks here? 20,000 or more members. And the problem between these, uh, this, this lack of uh, making sure we're being fair with these widows, it led to murmuring. And murmuring's a horrible thing, isn't it? Murmuring often goes on in a church over very uh, small things, over very petty things. You know, she has my chair, someone stole our stapler, uh, someone took the glue, or we don't have enough Sunday school books, we have to share, you know, oh, God forbid we have to share with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, it's too hot, or it's too cold, or, you know, uh, he took the last piece of fried chicken, or, or whatever, you know, we begin to murmur and we begin to complain, not over monumental things, not over life and death things, not over eternal things, but over petty things. 
And rather than doing what the Scripture says, and that is esteem others better than ourselves and to go without or whatever, we begin to murmur, we begin to complain. And that goes on in churches. But you know, there are sometimes legitimate things that we need to talk about. And when those problems arise, they need to be handled in a biblical, Christ-like way. And we find that's what goes on here. They didn't ignore the problem. It's a serious problem. If there were indeed widows who were depending upon the church being neglected, it was a serious problem. And we love what the apostles did here. They handled it in a biblical, Christ-like way. And what they did is they said, listen, we're not going to take on this ministry. We're not going to do this. Rather, we're going to give it to some other men who can handle this ministry. Look back here in Acts chapter 6 now, right? Acts chapter 6, verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, don't misunderstand what they're saying. It's not that serving tables was beneath them. It's not that serving tables was not an important ministry. It was a matter of priority and ministry. God had not called the apostles here to serve in that capacity. In fact, verse 4 says that they said we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's their primary task. And as a pastor, I have to keep that verse in front of me. That's my primary task here. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Not to do all the ministry, but by prayer and the ministry of the Word to equip the body to do the ministry. You say, well, where did you get that from? Well, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And many scholars believe that should go together, pastor teachers. Why? Why did he give these to the body? Well, verse 12 of Ephesians 4 says it this way. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so the apostles were wise here. They realized we can't do everything. God has not called us to do everything. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And you go and you select some men that are qualified, godly men. And we're going to put them over this responsibility. Because this whole idea of tables here might have actually meant a table where they're distributing funds. Not necessarily waiters or maybe giving out monies. And so there's some important lessons here when it comes to deacons. So I want to go over about three of them with you real quick today. All right? When it comes to deacons, I want you to notice, first of all, they are spiritually qualified. They're to be spiritually qualified. Now you're back in Acts 6 still, right? Acts 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men, now watch this, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, notice the qualifications right away. First of all, they said, listen, seek out from among you. That is, these men are part of the body of Christ. That means that they're part of the flock. That means they're saved. They're saved men. They're members of the church. They're obviously baptized men. And they're there. We know later on it talks about uh, watching them and making sure that they're approved and ready to serve. And we do that here. You can't just walk in and at the very same time become a deacon. There's a time period that's laid down here where we can observe and see your testimony. Seek out among you, part of the body, part of the flock, save members. Then notice it says next, men of good reputation. Not just any old person's going to do, not just even the most willing person, but a good reputation. Then it says, full of the Holy Spirit. That is spirit-controlled men. 
Uh, those who are allowing the Holy Spirit to control their lives and bring about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. And then it says, not only full of the Holy Spirit, but also full of wisdom. And I think that would be spiritual wisdom, of course, but also practical wisdom, as they're dealing with very practical matters here. Now, please notice this is not a popularity contest. It was not choose out among the congregation the richest man or the most successful in business or the most influential. Why? Because this is a spiritual work and it required spiritual men, godly men. And then when you get to uh, 1 Timothy, the requirements are articulated even more. Now, rather than take the time to walk you through every point in 1 Timothy, we already read it once, what I want to do is I want to read it to you again in a more modern translation. And I think as I do, you'll begin to even see it in a clearer light what the requirements are. We've already read it in the New King James. Let me read it to you in the NLT. Listen to it now. And listen to these requirements. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. We can catch on to that. We understand what that means, right? They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you have any one of those things, you've got a disaster in your hand. A heavy drinker and dishonest with money, especially if they're handling money to help widows. Verse 9. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. I think uh, here you've got to be a member for three years before you can be considered to serve as a deacon. That's biblical. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. And then it addresses the wife. In the same way, their wives must be respected and and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. Uh, Here's an important trait. Chapter uh, 3, verse 12 of 1 Timothy. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. That's just common. That's just bare bones. He must manage his children and household well. And then here's the blessing again. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded, how? With respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Does that help? To understand that these qualifications, these qualities are very important for a person, a man who's going to serve as a deacon. Now let's go back to Acts again. We talked about the fact that they are to be spiritually qualified, but there's a second thing. And that is, I want you to notice, they're set apart by the congregation. They're set apart by the congregation. You're back in Acts 6 now. Look at verse 3 again. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. Notice the apostles put the task to the congregation. You seek out among you seven men. Then notice verses 5 and 6. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose, and they list out these men. And then notice verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. Notice the congregational involvement here. The congregation are the ones who appointed or selected these people and brought them forth, these men. And notice that they were commissioned and blessed by the laying on of hands and by prayer. Look at verse 6 again. And when they had set before the apostles, when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And if you've never been here before for a deacon ordination, in just a few minutes, we're going to have a man uh, seated here in front of you. And and we're going to have fellows come, deacons, that are going to lay hands on him. That might sound startling at first. I mean, it's not going to beat him up. They're going to lay hands on him, and they're going to pray over him. And where do we get that from? Well, we get it from right here. In Acts chapter 6, we see this commissioning and blessing uh, of the congregation. 
that you have selected these men to serve in these capacities. You know, each year we ask you as church members to nominate men for this office, and that is a serious, important task. It should be done carefully. It should be done prayerfully. And when we go and ask these men to serve, we ask them to pray about it. We ask them to take time to think about it, to consider it. We ask them to talk to their wives about it because deacons are servants of God and servants of the congregation. And they're set apart to be spiritually qualified. And that brings us to the third point, which is simply this. They are servants of God and the congregation. Now, ultimately, all of our service is for God. We should never forget that. No matter what it is you're doing, you do it as unto the Lord. And you're being His hands and feet and you're blessing others. But ultimately, the service is for God. But that service takes place here in the world specifically many times here in the body of Christ, and you might be thinking, this is the question, well, what does a deacon do? What does he do? We understand he's spiritually qualified. We understand uh, it's a matter of character. We understand that the congregation selects him. But what does he do? Well, the simplest answer is I can give you is this. He serves the body of Christ. He serves the church. He serves the church. I find it interesting that we don't have in the Scripture a set of tasks laid down for the deacon. No, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. But I think that's purposeful. Why? Because the deacon serves as the congregation requests. You see, the congregation authorizes and commissions and blesses this deacon to serve in ways that are needed. And so that includes in whatever way the congregation wants it to serve. Here that means in financial matters and Congregational care matters and business matters. Uh, They're here to assist me as the pastor to care for the flock of God. In fact, our bylaws, and I I know that probably most don't sit around reading bylaws. Um, If you do, you know, God bless you. Um, We give them to you. You have them. And in our bylaws, we we have in there what we're asking these men to do. I'll just share some of it with you. And if you've been waiting for a good nap, well, here's an opportunity. It says here, in accordance with the meaning and work and practice of the New Testament, deacons are to be servants of the church and faithfully attend worship services. I mean, that's just basic. If you're going to be a deacon, come to church. They'll serve with the pastor proclaiming the gospel and caring for church members, serving the Lord's Supper, leading the church and performing its mission. Um, the active deacon board will constitute the board of directors of this incorporated church. They prepare a proposed budget. They make sure we get a financial review every so often by CPA. I'm summarizing. They see a review of the church's insurance policies are done. When it comes to discipline, it says in the matter of a grievance, members are encouraged to follow the guidelines in Matthew 18, 15 through 17 where you go one-on-one and then if that doesn't work, you involve others. If the grievance is not resolved between the parties, the person who has the grievance against a member, an elected official, a deacon, or the pastor shall make such a grievance known and they sign written statement and give it to an active deacon. Now I want you to hear the next sentence. The deacon shall make every effort to find a satisfactory solution. That is, they're there to help us keep peace and harmony. But if all efforts fail, then the board of deacons may bring the grievance before the church in any business session. So you have here the authority from the congregation to the deacons, but ultimately it comes back to the congregation. This is a very important position. It's a serious responsibility. Uh, If the Lord leads me somewhere else, it says deacons will be responsible for pulpit supply until an interim or permanent pastor is found. 
when it comes to church staff, the deacons will determine such paid staff members and with other representatives shall uh, be employed by church action. And then you know, in addition to these things in our bylaws, that we're all, if you're a part of Radio Baptist Church, you have an assigned deacon. You have that listing in your bulletin this morning. And, and they're assigned to help care for you and to minister to you and to pray for you and to visit you and do whatever they can to minister to you. And you know what? In addition to that, you know who's going to be up at 4.30 on Easter Sunday morning cooking breakfast for all of us that are still sleeping at home? Yes, yeah, the deacons and those that they can kind of get to come help them. What am I saying, beloved? I'm saying this. These men and their wives and their families, they need our prayers and they need our support because God has called them through this body of believers, to serve Him in a very special way. It's a serious, solemn responsibility. It should be a a joy to serve. It should be a blessing to serve. But there are burdens attached to it. And they need our prayer. And they need our support. And so I, I would submit to you today that that listing that maybe you stick on your fridge or your Bible that has a listing of those deacons, not just be a reference guide if you get upset about something, who to call, or if you have a legitimate need of some sort, you need ministry, but it be a, a prayer guide for you to pray for these men and pray for their families. You know, we should be grateful for godly men who would give up their lives to serve Christ by serving the body. Because they are servant leaders. They're servant leaders. You know, I started this message with a story about the, um, the little girl who got confused about what she learned at Sunday school or church that day. But I want to close with something that a little boy said about uh, deacons. A little boy was in a church service and uh, he was there seated and all of a sudden some deacons were coming forward to do some sort of service. I don't know exactly what it was, but you know, they were coming forward to serve in in some capacity. And the little fella, here's what he said. He said, here comes the beacons. Here comes the beacons. And I'd like to submit to you that he was not confused because if a man truly will serve in the office of a deacon in a scriptural way with pure motives and a pure heart, for the glory of God and the good of the body, He will be a shining light. He will be a beacon for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as the Scripture says, those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith, that is their own faith, in Jesus Christ. And so I submit to you today, beloved, please pray and support the men who are called to serve this body and their wives and their families. Thank God for godly men. Father, we're grateful for the things that we've learned and been reminded of this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us to pray and support, pray for and support these men and their families as they give of their time and their labor and their efforts in so many ways as they experience joy and also sorrow in carrying out this office for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask your richest blessings now upon Brett and Courtney and their family as we have this special time of ordination. May you be honored in this place. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.